Christ is risen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The homily this morning is about the power of the side of Jesus. The verse that I would like to focus on is this. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side, and do not be faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. The main point that I would like to get across today is that the side of the risen Lord is life-giving. The side of the risen Lord is life-giving. And I would like to share with you first some um, excerpt from St. Cyril of Jerusalem's catechism. St. Cyril of Jerusalem lived in I don't know, was it the 5th century? 5th century. And uh, wrote a complete catechism. This is on the death, resurrect, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And specifically uh, on the water and the blood. He says, beginning with the signs under Moses was blood and water. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the the beginning of the plagues that were sent upon Egypt. And what was the first plague that was sent unto Egypt? The water was turned into blood. So beginning of the signs under Moses was blood and water, and the last of all Jesus' signs was the same. Water and blood. First, Moses changed the river into blood, and Jesus gave last, he gave forth from his side water and blood. This is perhaps on two account, perhaps on account of two speeches. His who judged him and those who cried out against him. So who judged him? Pilate judged him. And who cried out against him? The chief priest and the Pharisees and the people. Or because maybe of believers and unbelievers. Pilate said, I am innocent of this man's blood. And he washed his hands in water. Those who cried out against him, what did they say? His blood be on us and upon our children. And so there came forth water and blood out of his side. The water, perhaps, for him who judged him. Almost as if to say, wash your hands with this water. And for them that shouted against him, the blood. 
take this blood upon you. Again, it's understood another way. The blood for the Jews and water for the Christians. For those that plotted and it came the condemnation from blood and those who now believe salvation by water in baptism. Water and blood. For nothing, St. Cyril says, nothing has been done without a meaning. So there is a meaning when Jesus, it was not coincidental. I mean, we know why the soldier did it. We know that the soldier did it to make sure that he was dead. And this is a sign of death when, wa- when water and blood are mixed in, in the, the, you know, the cavity, the chest cavity. So we know that like scientifically or whatever. But there's always a spiritual meaning to these things. Our fathers who have written comment and given another reason for the matter. For since the Gospels, the power of salutary baptism is twofold, one which granted by means of water to the illuminated, and the second by the holy martyrs in persecutions through their own blood. Have you ever heard this term, the baptism of blood, in reference to the holy martyrs? There came out of that saving side blood and water to confirm the grace of the confession made for Christ, whether it's in baptism or whether it's in martyrdom. There's another reason. <laughs> for me, this, is, this is it. That's so, <laughs> for saints here, I'll quit. There's another reason for mentioning the side, and this to me, this hit me more powerfully than any of the others. The woman who was formed from the side, the side of Adam, and who led the way to sin. Jesus came to bestow grace and pardon on men and women alike. He was pierced in the side for women, that he might undo that sin. Who thinks this way? You know, only only a pure mind, only an enlightened mind can think this way, can can glean this from the Holy Scriptures. Such was St. Cyril of Jerusalem's mind. St. Nikolai asked the question, why did the Lord wait eight days? He said first so that the circumstances would be precisely the way that it was on that first Sunday and that it should be on a Sunday that He now appears again. So on that first Sunday, He appeared five times. And one of those times was behind closed doors to the disciples. So the circumstances are precisely the same. Second, so that Thomas' unbelief would be brought out immediately and from his waiting that he would be made stronger. Third, to accustom the disciples to patience and endurance in prayer for confirming their friend's faith. 
For the disciples must have been praying that the Lord would appear again for Thomas' sake. Have you ever thought of that? They were together. They were the band of the apostles. And they all scattered when he died. And they were all ashamed. But they all immediately came back together. But Thomas wasn't there. And he didn't get to see what they saw. They didn't believe it, did they? How many times did they say on that first Sunday, I don't believe you? Were they any different from St. Thomas? Mary Magdalene comes. We've seen the Lord, the mother of the Lord. We've seen seen the Lord. Well, I don't believe you. Luke and Cleopas, we saw him on the road and he opened the Scriptures and he broke the bread and, and we knew Him in, in the breaking of the bread. And we don't believe you. Well, He appeared to Simon Peter too. We don't believe that either. So they weren't any different. And so when they had the opportunity to see the Lord and to touch Him, they prayed that Thomas would have the same opportunity that they had. Fourth, so that the disciples would realize their helplessness and the impossibility of their revealing the risen Lord without His aid. Excuse me? Does that mean that I, Father John Finley, can't reveal the Lord to other people without the Lord's aid? How many times have I, as a missionary priest, gone out into the mission field in my own strength, in my own competence? I know the faith. I can teach it to other people. I want to read something to you that you don't hear in the nave, but we hear it in the altar every divine liturgy. The priest says, just before the gospel lesson is read, illumine our hearts, O Master, who lovest mankind. The implication right off the bat is because we can't. (laughs) With the pure light of thy divine knowledge and open the eyes of our mind to an understanding of thy gospel teachings. Sound like Luke and Cleopas on the road to Emmaus? Implanted us also the fear of thy blessed commandments that trampling down all carnal desires we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as are well-pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies. Jesus is the illumination of our souls and bodies. Jesus is the light. 
And then there's a dialogue with the deacon. The deacon comes and says, Bless, Master, him that proclaimeth the good tidings of the holy, glorious apostle and evangelist, and whoever the evangelist is for that day. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. <clears throat> so, he can't do it without a blessing. This is not just permission. This is a blessing a blessing to do this, power to do it. The priest says, May God, through the prayers of the holy, glorious apostle and evangelist, Mark, enable thee to proclaim the good tidings with great power to the fulfillment of the gospel of his beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're asking for the apostle who wrote it, to help him to read it, and to read it with power, to read it with meaning, in the light of Jesus. The deacon says, Amen, 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 let it be to me according to thy word. And then the deacon says, O holy apostle and evangelist, intercede with the merciful God that he may grant our souls forgiveness of sins. When the gospel is read, Jesus is here. Jesus is unstopping our ears. Jesus is giving the meaning. Jesus is making it penetrate our hearts. Do any of you old-timers remember this? In honor of the incarnate Son of God, speaking to us in the gospels, let us stand for the reading of the gospel. That's it, right there. And we can never forget this. He is speaking to us. And so Thomas comes and he tells him to come near, reach out, take my hand, put your hand in my side. And here's what St. Nikolai says happened when he did that. For when the Lord, as yet unglorified in a mortal body, was able to heal a woman with the issue of blood by letting her touch his garment, filling her with strength and health. Remember that story. <clears throat> how much more, how much more could he, as the risen Lord, in his glorified body, give to Thomas through the touch, all the power and authority that he had given the other apostles in another way. On the day of the resurrection, when they were gathered, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And whatsoever sins ye remit, they are remitted. And whatsoever sins we retain, they are retained. And eight days later, when Thomas placed his hand in the Lord's side, he got the same power and the same authority that they had gotten. The life-giving side of Jesus Christ. So how might we apply this to our own lives today? 
St. Nikolai encouraged us, let us, he says, let us lock the inner chamber of our souls. Just like they were locked behind the doors, let us lock the inner chamber of our souls and keep it from the invasion of the external fallen world. that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as are well-pleasing to thee. That's what the priest says before the gospel, because if we don't, we can't understand it. If we don't, we won't receive that light, the light of understanding. And so let us replace every corner of doubt in our souls with perseverance in prayer and waiting patiently on the Lord to fulfill all of our godly desires. Let us pray. O resurrected Lord, confirm us in the faith and zeal of your holy apostles. May we drink from thy holy and life-giving side, that we may simply cry out unto thee with the apostle Thomas, my Lord and my God. For your name is holy always, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christos Anesti.